So please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, and this will be the final reading from Acts chapter 9. And we've covered quite a lot of ground thus far in the book of Acts, but before we get into today's verse, which will be verse 26, I just want to say from verse 25 that the Word of God tells us that the disciples took him by night in reference to Saul of Tarsus and let him down by the wall in a basket. And I made the case last week that we shouldn't take that to be a sign of cowardice because we were told back in the Old Testament that King David too was in fear of his life when Absalom was attempting to overthrow him and he fled with his servants because man wants to survive, man wants to live to fight another day and also we were told from Matthew 10 23 that if they persecute you in this city or that city you are to flee into another city for verily I say unto you you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel to the son of man be come so I don't think we should be critical of Saul of Tarsus as he is known thus far in Acts for being let down the wall in a basket because as I say there are many more battles to fight so I just want to say that in reference to last week's reading. But let's start today's broadcast. If we may, and I hope the Lord will bless today's broadcast as it goes out through the internet, on the shortwave radio, and later onto the internet. Acts 9, verse 26, please. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, and believed not that he was a disciple. The fear of man bringeth a snare, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We know from 1 John chapter 4 that fear has torment, but perfect love casts out fear. He wants to go to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a mother church. This man is a Jew of the Jews. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. Jerusalem was the eternal city, and still is, not Rome, I might add. And it's only natural that he wants to go to the first church of Jerusalem, a term which I have dubbed for this study, because that is where the apostles are all based. But it says they wouldn't believe that he was a disciple. And that goes back to what I said last time, that it's always difficult to shake off one's reputation. This man was a great zealot, a fanatic perhaps, going around wanting to kill Christians, those that were following the Messiah. So we shouldn't be too surprised that the disciples are afraid of him and also are doubting him. We find in Matthew 28, when the Lord came up out of the tomb, he appeared to his apostles, and it says some didn't believe on him. So that shows, on the one hand, the Holy Spirit's honesty in reference to his church, the early church leaders, and it also shows the integrity of the writers of Scripture, that they weren't afraid to tell us that they were in doubt as to the Lord's resurrection. But uh, the Lord understands our frailties, our imperfections, and when we stumble, he's always quick to catch us. On top of that, He holds our hand. We don't hold his hand. Salvation is dependent on him. What he did for us, not what we do for him. Look at verse 27, please. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Corporate leadership in Jerusalem. And Barnabas, we found him back in chapter 5, I think it is, a Levite a wealthy man who sold all that he had and gave it to the apostles to share out amongst themselves and others. And that is voluntary. There's no socialism in the New Testament. 
But Barnabas is going to be the middleman here to bring Saul of Tarsus into fellowship with the Jerusalem church. 28. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. He's finally been accepted. First of all, based primarily on Barnabas, his intercession, his testimony, how he, Paul, had seen the Lord in the way, 27, and how he had spoken boldly at Damascus, Syria, in the name of Jesus. That term again, in the name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. To be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, it means with the authority of Jesus Christ you can be saved. But we're still very much in this intertestimonial period. Although we are technically in the new covenant, there's much old covenant uh, material here, and I'll explain that as we go through. But he's arrived, as they say, Saul of Tarsus. He's been accepted by those in Jerusalem. But before we go on, please turn to Galatians chapter 1, because we need to understand that the Bible is like a jigsaw, and Dr. Luke, in many ways, is giving you bullet points. He's, he's going to give you a 30-year period, starting from around 30 AD to 60 AD. But it does say in verse 26 that Saul was come to Jerusalem, and he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, so on and so forth. So you think to yourself, he's baptized, he's taken by Barnabas, to the apostles, 27, and by 28, he's coming in and going out among them. But that's not necessarily the chronological order. Galatians chapter 1, let's pick it up in verse 15, please. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia, and returned again unto Damascus. 18. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter, and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Let's try and break this down. 15. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, not literally, of course, and called me by his grace, there's a picture of the new birth, to reveal a son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen. That's the key word, heathen, Gentile. Immediately, I conferred not with flesh and blood. He didn't consult any individual. Neither went up to Jerusalem, headquarters, up to this point in time, to them which were apostles before me, those that were chosen by the Lord, eyewitnesses to his ministry. But I went unto Arabia, and then returned again unto Damascus. I put the word then in, but he says... And returned again unto Damascus. So there's a break from going up to Arabia. And then returning again unto Damascus. That's why I just wanted to insert that. But at the same time explain it to you. So we have him going up to Arabia. Between, let's see now, Acts 9. 25 to 26. But by 27, 28. He's gone from being in the desert. Arabia back to Jerusalem. There's about a three year period here. And you would have missed that if you didn't have the cross-reference from Acts 9 to Galatians chapter 1. And it's quite possible that this three-year absence from Galatians 1.18 might possibly be when he went to the third heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I think it is. But I'm not overly sure that's the correct interpretation because we are told in chapter 13 that he's left for dead. 
And many Bible expositors believe that that is the moment that he was raptured to heaven and saw things which he couldn't utter, he couldn't speak about, so on and so forth. But I think one scholar, whose name escapes me, took the view that between Acts 9.25 to 28, cross-reference to Galatians chapter 1, would be the moment he leaves the church in Damascus. But before he goes to Jerusalem, he's in Arabia, Middle East land, with the Lord for three years. That's his desert experience. And it must have taken three years for him to truly get into fellowship with the Lord, which kind of humbles us. If you're like me, impatient, you want to do something yesterday, but not Paul. He took three years out of his life to spend time with the Lord in fellowship with him. And then he goes up to Jerusalem to see Peter. Peter being the oldest apostle, and Peter being the, in many ways the most immature of the apostles. Hence why the Lord took so much time to fellowship with Peter to build him up. But we're told also from Galatians 1.19, but other of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. And that James wrote the epistle of James. And uh, along with Judas, half-brother, he would also write the epistle of Jude. So I think, looking at Acts 9 this morning, in conjunction with Galatians chapter 1, that would explain the gap. And quite possibly, and this is just my own private hypothesis, that that could be the point that he was taken to the third heaven. I don't know. But let's go back to Acts chapter 9. Maybe I'll have some more thoughts on this at the end of this message. Acts 9 verse 29, please. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. He speaks boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. I must say this, that the Jews, although they are beloved, and we certainly love the Jews of this ministry, can be quite hostile to the things of the Lord. Before we came to do our outreach in Barcelona, Spain, we were doing some letterboxing in a part of Manchester, a very strong Jewish area. And it's the first time that I can recall that we've done any outreach in a Jewish area. And we didn't know it was a Jewish area to start with. And we went to about maybe 10, 15 houses, and we soon realised we were in hostile territory. At the same time, we'd done some outreach in a Muslim area, in the same part of Manchester, and uh, they had Islamic quotes in their windows. And we thought, maybe we are in a slightly precarious situation. So we decided to leave both areas and go elsewhere. But Paul's a Jew. He's going to take the message of the gospel to the Jews. He would tell you in 1 Corinthians 9 that he was all things to all people, that he might win some to the Lord. And of course, the Lord was Jewish. He said he came unto his own, the Jews, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him... That's you and I, if you're born again, to them gave you power to become the sons of God. So it's not surprising that he's going to go boldly to the Grecians and preach the word of God to them, but they're going to want to kill him. And I think 2,000 years on, that hasn't really changed. I think if you were to really preach the word of God in a Jewish area, they might try and do you harm. I don't know. But that's why you need to be very diplomatic, very skillful. And yet Paul, he thought nothing of his own life. On the one hand, he is going around trying to kill Christians. And now he is going to preach to the Jews. And he saw the third heaven. He saw things which weren't lawful to utter. Hence why he was no rush to stay on the earth. He wanted to go to be with the Lord. But the Lord said, no, it's better for you to stay where you are. It's more beneficial for you to preach to the church. To write down your words, visions, experiences to those that are going to come after you. 30. Which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea. And sent them forth to Tarsus, 
Paul's gone back to Tarsus, his home country. Paul, still called Saul of Tarsus, was a Roman Jew, or a Jewish Roman. He has two parts to his character. He's a Jew by birth, so he can preach to the Jews, and yet he's from Tarsus. He's a Roman citizen. And off he goes from verse 30. And I'll comment on that in a moment. 31. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord, and the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. This is very interesting. It says the church is plural, had rest throughout all Judea, Galilee, Samaria, and were edified, walking in the fear of the Lord. I think, without wanting to take too much of a liberty here, that it's quite possible that Paul was quite a zealot, even after he was saved. And sometimes a zealot can be a good thing, and sometimes it can be a negative thing. Because if you live in a town or a community, somebody breezes in and starts preaching hellfire, as they say, and start whipping up people, getting people's backs up, as we say, you have to stay in that town when that person's gone back. It's like me going overseas and really preaching a hard message in somebody's town and community. It's easy for me to do that, but I'm not going to live here. I'm going to go home. And that's why I'm sometimes critical of some of our American brethren who preach the word of God in different parts of the world. And they preach a pretty controversial message. In fact, somebody came up to me in Manchester, I think it was last year, and he said to me, were you here last week? There were some Americans with banners near Piccadilly Gardens. I said, no, it wasn't me. And he said to me, well, they're preaching a pretty hard, controversial message. And I said to him, okay, what were they saying? And he said, well, they were preaching against homosexuality and other sins of the flesh. And I said to him, well, that's their prerogative. He said, but they were very antagonistic. They were quite blunt, abrasive, not particularly friendly. And I said to him, I know what you're saying. I've met these people myself. So I spent about an hour and a half talking to this chap. And uh, on the one hand, it turned into a witness for me to speak to him. But on the other hand, those Americans had come and gone and left quite a stir. So I think sometimes it's not always helpful when a foreigner arrives in your country, preaches a pretty hard message, which might not always be the word of God. You know, why add affliction to the gospel? And then they push off and we are left to pick up the pieces. So I think Dr. Luke is telling us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Saul of Tarsus was a bit of a hothead to start with. He needed to be calmed, not disciplined, interestingly enough. Nobody, nobody discipled him and yet he's going to be gone for three years. And by the time he comes back, he's almost a different man. But I think 31, one last time, then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. This is a fast-growing movement. And were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord. That's a good fear, that. It's good to fear the Lord. And in the comforts of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. 32. And it came to pass, as Peter passed throughout all quarters... He came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydda. So Paul's gone, and this is almost like a tag team. And now Peter is reintroduced into Acts of the Apostles, and Peter is on his own now. Up until this point in Acts, Peter has been working with John like a team. And later, Paul will work with Barnabas as a team. But I think from memory, from Acts 16, 17, 18, Paul works on his own. Timothy is found, I think, once in chapter 16. So now they're going to go from going out in pairs to going out on their own. 33. And they found a certain man named Aeneas, 
which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. There's still a lot of sickness going on in Israel. And sometimes sickness can be a result of your sin. But back in John chapter 9, there was a blind man. And the apostle said to the Lord, is this man blind? Or was he born blind because of any sin? And he says, no, he wasn't born because of any sin. He was born blind for the glory of God. That's a tough piece of scripture to digest. That's years of being blind. Just pictures for a few moments, if you will. Begging, being treated with contempt by those around you. And then one day the Lord arrives. 4 BC is born. 30 years of age, his ministry begins. And then you're healed. On the one hand, that's a glory of God. And yet, on the other hand, that man was blind for many years. But here, this man, Aeneas, is sick. He's been keeping his bed. He's been crippled for eight years. And Peter, as an apostle, has assigned gifts. 34. And Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise and make thy bed. And he arose immediately. Aeneas, Jesus Christ makes you whole. There's power in the name of Jesus. And many times when we've needed to seek comfort and solace, we go to the Lord and we pray directly to Jesus Christ. That separates us from all other groups of Christendom and false Christendom. Jesus Christ is Almighty God. And this man is going to get complete healing. None of this placebo nonsense which you see on TV. And one last time, Peter said unto him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise and make thy bed. And he rose immediately, no doubt rejoicing, full of happiness. And that term Jesus Christ, normally when it's used in the New Testament, post the Gospels, going to the uh, epistles, is in reference to his time on the earth. But when you find Christ Jesus, it's in reference to his place in heaven. That's why I think we are still very much, although in the New Covenant, strictly, we're still in the Old Covenant. Because the Gospels are really Old Covenant teachings. Yes, they are in the New Testament, but they're not New Covenant teachings per se. Because the New Covenant isn't valid until the testator dies. We find that in Hebrews chapter 7, I think it is. But these religious leaders couldn't heal this man, Aeneas. Caiaphas couldn't do this. Muhammad couldn't do this. The Pope couldn't do this. In fact, I'll say this, that the Pope has gone to the UK twice over the last 30 years. The first Pope went in 1982, I think it was, and he preached all over the UK. I say preached, in inverted commas. And they brought hundreds, if not thousands of people sick on stretchers all over the UK and maybe a far island, maybe parts of Europe to see John Paul II. And they came sick and they left sick. There wasn't one individual that was healed of any literal physical illness and I'm not talking about some depression some anxiety which may be temporarily lifted after meeting someone like John Paul II but people with physical illness blind deaf lame they came crippled they left crippled and then in 2010 Pope Benedict came to the UK same thing sick people were brought to him on crutches sticks wheelchairs so on and so forth couldn't help any of them they came sick and they left sick but here Peter they believe is their first pope. Just says the word to a man, Aeneas, Jesus Christ, make thee whole. And he's made whole immediately. And he rises, makes his bed, and off he goes rejoicing. And I challenge anybody who says that the Jewish absolute sign gifts are still for today. Why are your leaders not doing what is found here? Why can't your leaders do what is being spoken about here? Look at 35, please. And all that dwelt at Lydda, and Saran saw him and turned to the Lord. There's repentance. 
They saw and they turned to the Lord. We don't see today the just should live by faith. But for this group of people, they were very privileged to see miracles and then turn to the Lord in faith. And the Lord Jesus Christ told us in John 20 to Thomas how he was blessed because he had seen the risen Lord. But blessed are those that have not seen and yet still have believed. But we're still very much in this period of great miracles. And they saw what had just occurred in 34 in Lydda and Sharon. And they turned to the Lord. No repentance of all of your sins. No lordship salvation. They simply turn to the Lord in faith. And that underscores the reality. That we are saved by our faith. In the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are kept by our faith in him. But more than that. We are kept by what he did for us. On the cross. Not what we do for him. That's why he said on the cross. It is finished. And I can't emphasize that enough. And if you are in a church system or structure which doesn't teach faith alone for salvation and tries to put works into the equation can i say this to you that you are dealing with a false religion but let's move on please 36 now there was at joppa a certain disciple named tabitha which by interpretation is called dorcas this woman was full of good works and alms deeds which she did disciple female not an apostle a disciple is simply a believer called tabitha and she's full of good works, like Mary and Martha, no doubt, and alms deeds. So she's a financial giver. And I think sometimes the prosperity preachers, if they've read this piece of scripture, will twist it to try and get a tithe from you. But that won't work. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. She's a generous woman. She's a saved woman. She's supporting the believers. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died. Who, when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. They washed her in preparation for burial, not cremation, 38. And for as much as Lida was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Get Peter quickly, she's just died. She's a wonderful woman. She's a one in a million. 39. Then Peter rose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into an upper chamber. And all the widows stood by him weeping and showing their coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. She's got a great testimony here. This is your works in the sight of man. James chapter 2 verses your works in the sight of God. So you believe? The Lord sees that. Romans 4. But your faith produces works. And here this woman has a great testimony. And they're weeping. They're mourning, not grieving. There's a distinction to be made. If a saved man or woman dies, you can weep. You can mourn for such a person. But you shouldn't grieve for such a person because they are saved they are in a much better place to where we are but that goes back to what I said at the beginning of this message that man wants to survive man wants to fight life is precious and this woman may have been cut down in her prime I don't know I'm just speculating but they've sent for Peter because Peter is a man with the miracles 40 but Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed and turning him to the body said Tabitha arise and she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Peter puts them all forth. He puts them all out of the room. There's no show here. There's no get your camera and film this or photograph this. He kneels down in submission to the Almighty and he prays. And turning him to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. Lazarus, come forth. And it's been said by other expositors that had the Lord not said, Lazarus, come forth. In John chapter 11, all of the dead would have come forth. 
that point in time. That's why he said, Lazarus, come forth. And here, Peter is in the presence of a dead, saved disciple. Maybe there were other dead people in the proximity, I don't know. But Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. This is a great piece of scripture. And this, of course, is being presented to us by Dr. Luke, because the Jews require a sign. And we're still dealing with the Jewish remnant, going into the Gentile remnant. And on top of that, Peter is an apostle. One day he's going to write two epistles. And this further reinforces his apostolic credentials. 41. And he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. Takes her hand, lifts her up, calls the saints and widows and presents her alive. There's not much to really say in reference to that. What was done initially in secret has now been made public for the glory of God. And as a result of yet another healing, 42, and it was known throughout all Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. Believe in the Lord, trust in the Lord, turn to the Lord. 43, and it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with on Simon Atana. Simon Peter, Simon Atana, go to a street called Straight. Verse 11, we find one called Judas. Judas Iscariot was a bad apple. This Judas is a good apple. Back in the Old Testament, King Saul was a bad king. In the New Testament, Saul of Tarsus is a good Saul. Simon Peter was a good apostle. But it ends with Simon meeting Simon. And one other note that I didn't mention from last week, which I'll squeeze in today before this broadcast concludes, that... Saul gets saved, and it says in verse 20, and straightway, immediately, he preached Christ in the synagogues. Soul winning. Get busy. There's no predestination here. The emphasis is quite simply to get out and preach the gospel, because time is of the essence. So that will conclude today's message from Acts chapter 9, all 43 verses. And as I say, that what you are really reading here is a major transition from the Old Covenant into New Covenant. Saul of Tarsus has vanished. We found him at the end of chapter 7. He's now gone temporarily from verse 30 in Acts chapter 9. So what, three chapters? But he comes back in chapter 11, I think it is. And he's going to pretty much dominate the New Testament. And in some ways that pictures the Lord's time on the earth. He was here for three and a half years. And we've had, what, three chapters, three and a half chapters thereabouts of Saul of Tarsus. And he's gone and he comes back, which I won't stretch it too much, but that return might perhaps picture the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's just my own private theory. Don't uh, quote me on that. But miracles, left, right and sentence, repentance has been defined as turning from unbelief to belief in faith to the Lord and trusting in his precious blood. But you haven't seen the blood of Christ clearly articulated yet because I don't quite understand that's what is going to save individuals they're coming by faith to the lord they're being saved by their faith in the lord but later it will fall to paul the apostle to explain how appropriation works atonement justification but two miracles church being edified paul vanishing temporarily and peter taking his place i think i'll close one last time in verse 42 and it was known throughout all joppa And many believed in the Lord. That's it. They believed in the Lord. They got baptized into the body of Christ. 
and they are now in the body of Christ. So don't allow somebody to say that these, these good people weren't saved the same way that you are saved. They were saved the same way that you and I were saved. But they came a slightly different route, or do Americans say routes? But nevertheless, it's still faith. Faith alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone. Next week, we'll start our broadcast in Acts chapter 10, but we'll close it today there in verse 43.